electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now at last call, is this the stock rally's seventh inning? Why one hedge fund titan is getting a little nervous. What gets hacked in Vegas apparently doesn't stay in Vegas. There are fast-moving developments of the cyber attacks against two casino giants. Let's make a deal. Could Disney be looking to sell off one of its most valuable assets? Tensions exploding between two of the most powerful organizations in energy, and it could have implications for what you pay at the pump. And do you love having that elite status on airlines, you know, the lounges and all that stuff? Well, get ready, because another big player just said you're going to have to pay more to get it. So buckle up and put your trade tables up. Last call is up right now. All right, good evening, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. We begin with breaking news, though, tonight on what could be one of the biggest strikes in American history. We are just hours away from the UAW's contract deadline, and new details are emerging about which plants they could target first, if indeed they strike. Phil LeBeau's been all over it. He joins us live now from Detroit. Phil, what have we learned? Brian, we'll talk about those possible strike targets in just a little bit. We will find out about those strike targets officially from the UAW, 10 o'clock tonight. Look, this all boils down to money, as all negotiations do. But in this case, it's how much do you deserve as far as a raise? The UAW believes that its members should get between 36 and 40 percent over the course of four and a half years. And here you see the latest offers from GM and Ford now going up to 20 percent over the life of the contract and Stellantis at 17 and a half percent. If you're thinking, well, why not go up over 30 percent or maybe even give the auto, auto workers 35 percent if you're the big three? Here is Ford CEO Jim Farley talking about what that would mean financially for his company. If we signed up for the UAW's request, instead of making money and distributing $75,000 in profit sharing in the last 10 years, we would have lost $15 billion and gone bankrupt by now. Uh, the average pay would be nearly $300,000 fully fringed for a four-day work week. There is no per way. Per employee, per UAW per employee. employee. Yeah, this is our fully tenured School teacher in the U.S. makes sixty-six thousand dollars. Some of the military or firemen makes mid fifty thousand. This is four, five times, six times what they make. There's no way we can be sustainable as a company. All right, so where might we see a strike starting at midnight? The UAW says it's not put together the list yet, but we know from a source that they do have a plan, and the plan is to hit eight transmission and engine plants operated by the big three in the upper Midwest. And we're talking about the big ones that supply the transmissions and engines to the most profitable models, full-size pickup trucks, full-size SUVs. We're talking about Ford in Livonia or the Kokomo facility for Stellantis in Kokomo, Indiana, the Toledo transmission and propulsion facility for General Motors. 
That's just a taste of what we might see when the company makes its announcement tonight. And what would be the ripple effect if we do see these strikes? Here is GM President Mark Royce. If, if you think about, again, the communities, the employees, you know, um, the livelihoods of the families, um, of all of our employees is, is devastating. So um, this is something we have made the investments. Um, you know, we spent $35 billion on the biggest transformation in the auto industry has ever seen, and uh, we're ready to go. As you take a look at shares of GM, Ford, and Stellantis, remember the contract expires at 11.59 p.m. Eastern time tonight. Brian, one last note. I have covered these companies for almost 25 years. And I've seen a number of these negotiations. They usually have a certain cadence. This is far different than that. The level of frustration that I'm hearing from executives and from those who are familiar with the negotiations, I've never seen this before. Uh, and clearly you can hear from Mark Royce and from Jim Farley. They want to negotiate. And it sounds like from their perspective, the UAW is not coming to the table. And now the UAW and Sean Fain, he said yesterday, hey, we were there right from the start. These guys haven't been there. We're not seeing the usual. There is a disconnect here, and it, this means to me we're going to see a strike come midnight. And the strike, and we can put that, that graphic back up, guys, about some of the possible locations. We don't know, but to your point, those are possible locations. And I'm going to guess here, right, just hopefully I'm roll with me here a little bit, Phil, that they will pick locations to strike at, which will effectively make finishing any kind of car impossible. To your point last night, a major transmission factory that goes into, say, all the pickups. So I'm just, again, I'm making it up. They'll target specific yep. factories that are sort of the heart and brain of the entire finished product. So it would effectively, I would imagine, shut down most production. Within days, Brian, that Livonia transmission plant for Ford, largest transmission facility for the company in the world. That goes down, you can bet that F-Series production, other production, is going to be crippled within a matter of days. And then you start to have the ripple effect. And by the way, the reaction that you will see from the automakers, they're not going to keep these plants going and continue to pay the workers if they cannot finish a vehicle or if work can't be done at a certain plant. They will lay off those workers. Now it begins the question of who will get, how will those workers get uh, unemployment? Depends on the state where the plant is. Becomes a much more complex issue, situation. But it's not going to be on the automakers because the strike has shut down their ability to build vehicles. And again, I, I honestly do not know the answer to this, Phil. I'm sure you do. So we're talking about the UAW. We're talking. We say the big three. I get that. You've got Mercedes down in Alabama. You've got Volvo in South Carolina. You've got Hyundai and some of these southern locations as well. They are unaffected, correct? They are not a part of the UAW. They would continue correct. to manufacture cars. So the risk, I bring that up because the risk I'm seeing is if you stop production for a couple of you know, weeks or whatever, let's say the I want a Dodge Ram or an F-150 and it's, and it's backed right. up because of this, I say, you know what, I really need a truck. I guess I'll just go have to buy a Tundra. My point is there is, there is a risk here to the customer base and the companies and what they sell. Yep. 100% correct. And look, we know that people, if they're in the market for a vehicle, they will find that vehicle. Yes, pickup truck owners are loyal to brands. Ford owners tend to want to buy a Ford. Same with somebody who has a Chevy Silverado. Same with somebody who has a Ram 1500. But if you can't find a new one, first thing you're going to do is you're going to go into the used market. And by the way, used prices will start to firm up, if not continue to rise if it's an extended strike. 
But there is the chance, Brian, that you will have people who will say, I need a particular vehicle. And well, I may have looked at the Ford dealership down the street, but you know what? I'm going to go over to the Toyota dealership because I want a new vehicle. That is a definite risk. I believe that is the, is that the Rensen over your left shoulder there? I believe, is that the Renaissance That Center? is the Rensen. Hard, hard, yep, hard to miss. That is hard where I talked with Mark Royce today. Yeah, hard to miss GM's headquarters, an iconic building. Uh, Phil LeBeau, great stuff all day. I know it's, a, it's a, we got a long way to go. Probably see you again at some point, Phil. Thank you. Sounds good. And this looming strike is grabbing a lot of attention from Capitol Hill as well, as you might imagine. Case in point, California Congressman Ro Khanna, who just penned a new op-ed with UAW President Sean Fain. They write, quote, the electric vehicle transition must be as much about workers' rights as it is about fighting climate change. And the crisis there will not let the EV industry be built on the backs of workers making poverty wages while CEOs line their pockets with government subsidies. We will not let corporate greed manipulate the transition to a green economy into a rollback of economic justice. And Congressman Ro Khanna joins us now. Congressman Khanna, thanks for joining us. Uh, you, you grew up in Pennsylvania, but yet, you know, you represent a wealthy district in California outside of San Francisco. How did this op-ed come about? How did you and UAW Sean Fain come together on this? Well, I represent Silicon Valley, but for years I have been an advocate on making sure America becomes a manufacturing superpower. I've worked on bringing back manufacturing in semiconductors with the CHIPS Act and working now on bringing back new steel plants. And so I met Sean uh, in that context because he's a proponent on making things in America as well. So you talk about the EV transition and... Here's the here's the the complex part and something we talk a lot about on this program. California, as you obviously know, is planning to ban the sale of gas powered engines by 2035. And yet the UAW is nervous about the EV transition because EVs has so many fewer parts and thus may need fewer workers. How do you square the two? And has Sean Fain said to you, Congressman Khanna, some of the policies of your state, meaning California, might actually injure the UAW 10, 20 years from now. What Sean is focused on and what we're focused on is making sure all of the jobs in the EV supply chain are good union jobs. And that's why this contract matters so much, because it's not just about the people who are going to be working on the EV vehicles, which may be fewer than traditional vehicles. It's also the folks who are going to be working on the battery plants. And that is critical that those folks be union jobs. And we have a master agreement. And that is one of the main sticking points in the contract negotiations. Yeah, and certainly in your op-ed, it actually notes about $300 billion in government subsidies and taxpayer money maybe going toward the space, all of it, to your point, batteries, supply chains, cars, whatever it may be, over, say, call it the next eight to nine years. Is that a good use of taxpayer money if the money ends up, in some cases like it is, in non-unionized shops that are not in, say, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, or Illinois? That's a problem that uh, a lot of this money is ending up in places where workers are not represented. And you have CEOs in some cases, as you know, uh, making $30 million, 365 times that of the median employee. These companies have engaged in $5 billion of stock buybacks in the last year, which is enriching their shareholders. Whatever else you think of stock buybacks, it's giving money to shareholders and a form of dividend payments, basically. And workers are not participating. Now, I believe that's wrong 
uh, regardless of government investment, when you and I are paying for the industry and subsidizing it billions of dollars, we should make sure ordinary workers are getting their fair wages. Yeah, thank you for recognizing that. I mean, oftentimes I think a lot of people confuse government money with the fact that the government doesn't have a lot of money. The government's money is actually the taxpayer money that tends to go there. Case in point, I'm not picking on one company or another, Congressman. Uh, Georgia, Hyundai may get $2.1 billion, 8,500 jobs. That's great. We want job growth. You do the math, that's about $247,000 in federal subsidies per job. That's Hyundai. I mean, one of the biggest, richest companies in the world based in South Korea is that, as you, as to use kind of your terminology, is that a just transition? Well, I would say that we need to be prioritizing states that have traditionally allowed for unionization. And we should have had those criteria and how the money went out. And now you have Gene Sperling was trying to bring those criteria to the Department of Energy. I also think you should be prioritizing American companies in where the funding is going. And both of those criteria need to be explicit in the disbursement of these funds. Yeah, and you talk about Michigan and and I know you're from Pennsylvania originally. I know your folks, I think, at one point lived in the state of Michigan, so you probably have some roots around those parts. And for years, for decades, they've been losing jobs to the American South. A lot of people have moved down there willingly, I'm sure, I'm sure as obviously as you know. So what is the right balance, then, of trying to grow the overall American economy, right, because we are a nation, while still Correct. trying to protect some of the jobs in places like a Flint, Michigan, versus an overseas-based auto company building a new factory in, say, a Huntsville, Alabama. Mid the Midwest, my understanding, still has about uh, half of these manufacturing jobs, and about half have gone uh, down south. So the Midwest is still strong. But I would say that whatever uh, place or project is fair to labor, allows for the right to unionize, and uh, has a prevailing wage, should qualify uh, for federal funds. But if you are taking the funds and then going to a state to undercut uh, unions or to underpay workers, then you should not be prioritized in getting those funds. So I have no problem if the money is going to a southern state, if they are recognizing labor's right to organize and if they mm -hmm. are uh, also paying a prevailing wage. Do you believe the UAW, I'm sure you've talked to, you wrote an article with the UAW president. Do you believe that they will, at least in some form, end up on strike? This is just Ro Khanna talking. I, I believe they will, but this is not coming from uh, President Fain. I, I don't think the auto companies have matched their terms. I mean, look, you have uh, a simple request, which is to say, if you're going to put $5 billion in stock buybacks that enrich shareholders, give a dollar or two when you do that to workers. If you're going to have CEO pay go up 40% and cry poverty when you have $21 billion in profits, then raise worker wages. And this red herring of Tesla, I mean, all of the independent experts say Tesla's market share, which is 70 percent, is going to be in the teens because people want the EV pickup trucks and the big three can scale. So this idea that they can't compete with Tesla is just not right. I mean, America can compete, build things and pay people a family supporting wage without having CEOs make 400 times, 300 times the average worker. Well, there's, there's a school of thought that and we're going to talk about it later in the show that Tesla may actually win 
more if the UAW goes on strike because they are not unionized. And if there is a shutdown, even temporarily, of EVs produced by Ford, GM, or Stellantis, that an EV buyer may not have an option but to go to Teslas, by the way, which are largely made right near your district. I think that is a real risk. I guess I here's what I don't understand with the big three. If they're saying that, well, we can't be competitive, well, why can't they then commit to saying, okay, we're going to reduce the CEO to median worker pay ratio to 200 times, not 365 times? Why is CEO pay not part of being competitive? Why can't they say we're going to reduce the stock buybacks uh, to match with worker wage increases? Why is all of the burden and all of the talk about cost savings all always about workers and not the CEO executives or stock buybacks. You know, listen, I, this, this ultimately this contract is going to contracts, I should say, with the various three automakers will come down to the UAW and the car companies. But President Biden uh, today recently commenting on it. You're obviously penning an op ed. If there is a strike, as you said, just as an individual, you believe there will be some form of strike. Would you or get involved in the negotiation or do you think the government needs to somehow, whether it's you or somebody else, the president, anybody, get involved in the negotiation to reduce the possible damage to the overall American economy, especially if it's a general strike among all three and lasts for a while. Well, in my personal capacity, I will be standing uh, with the UAW workers and I will be making the case for them. Now, I believe that the president also should uh, get involved in that case and make the case for workers. I mean, he has been a pro-union president. And in this case, uh, the workers deserve a, a fair wage. And he can make the case. Look to the big three CEOs. You're taking a lot of taxpayer money. And if you want the EV revolution to succeed, you're not going to get that to succeed if you don't have the workers in Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania uh, supporting it. I mean, not only do they determine who the president is, they determine the majorities in the House and the Senate. And anyone who cares about the Green Revolution should care about UAW workers. And again, ag agreed. But inflation is, as you very well know, going to be one of, if not the key issues in next year's presidential race. Is there any part, and we've seen a bunch of, the dock workers got a deal, UPS got a deal, airline pilots got a deal, and again, people need to get what they deserve and, and should be paid, that is a fair living wage, but do you, as, as a politician, Congressman, worry that this could be inflationary and thus make it more difficult next year? Well, look, Adam Smith, who was the architect of free enterprise capitalism, said people have to be paid a wage that supports their family. That was him. And so I am not concerned about making sure that people who are working class are getting a fair wage. When you have record corporate profits, when you have CEOs making extraordinary amount of money, uh, that is also what has been inflationary. So you have the Fed doing what they need to do to try to uh, address inflation, uh, but uh, that can't come at the expense of workers getting a, a fair fair raise. And then on gas prices, as you know, that's largely Russia and Saudi Arabia. And we've got to figure out a foreign policy with Saudi Arabia so they don't cut oil uh, and squeeze the American uh, public. What would that, by the way, quick, just quickly, I know we have to go. What would that, what would that look like, uh, Congressman? Because it's something we talk about often here on this program and this network. I think we've got to be tougher on Saudi Arabia. I mean, they are 
surviving because of the United States military support. Uh, President Bush Sr. helped defend them against Saddam Hussein. And for them to be playing games, I don't care if there's a Democratic president or Republican president, for them to be playing games when Americans are hurting at the pump and threatening to uh, cut off our uh, supply or reduce our supply, we've got to make that clear that's unacceptable and there are going to be consequences to them in terms of our aid and in terms of our arms sales. Congressman Ro Khanna of California, you know, having gone to the University of Chicago like you did, I, I, had, a, I had the over on the Adam Smith mentions and so you came through <laughs> congressman Kana. thank you very much appreciate it sir appreciate it okay thank, thank you. you you're very welcome all right up next here on last call high interest rates what we just talked about lingering inflation rising energy prices so why are stocks suddenly starting to rally try to make sense of it plus remarkable new details on the cyber attacks against two casino giants that literally almost shut down parts of las vegas that's ahead BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. Don't worry, we have not forgotten about the stock market or your money. And some good news, the bulls were back in the driver's seat today. The sentiment maybe, who knows, fueled by Arm, the semiconductor company's successful IPO. Shares, they closed up 25%. And overall, things aren't looking too shabby lately for the market. Dow, SP, and NASDAQ all rose today. And as I tweeted out earlier, at one point today, and maybe it ended this way, the S&P 500 which had a terrible start to the month, the real-time monthly change on the S&P 500 was 0.00%. Kind of like that guy from Animal House's GPA. Investors appear to be shrugging off higher rates. They appear to be shrugging off oil, rising to $90 a barrel today. Gasoline prices up. Oh, and by the way, what we've been leading the show with all week, that we are maybe on the precipice of a massive auto strike that could bring America's automotive industries, at least Detroit, to a standstill. Nobody seems to care. But some Wall Street titans are beginning to raise warning flags, including Citadel founder and CEO Ken Griffin, one of the richest men in the world, shared his thoughts on Squawk on the Street today. I like to believe that this, this rally has legs. I'm a bit anxious. We're, we're sort of in the seventh or eighth inning of this rally. So if ARM... Again, the semiconductor, not like your arm. The successful debut is any indicator. Investors evidently aren't feeling the same caution. Does this bullishness signal a year-end rally in the making? Joining us now is Crossmark Global Investments 
Chief Market Strategist, Victoria Fernandez. You know, Victoria, listen, September is always the worst month of the year. We know that. We had a great start to the year. Then we got a little wobbly, and some people started to worry. Now we're back to sort of zero. Do you expect a strong end to the year? I'm actually quite cautious going into the end of the year here, Brian, and I'm glad to hear King Griffin say what he did. I mean, our CIO, Bob Dahl, and I have been talking with clients consistently over the last couple of quarters saying, look, there's a lot of signals out here that say, yes, the consumer's still strong. Retail sales were good this week. The job market is still doing decent. But there's a lot of elements out here that are causing us concern, whether it's leading economic indicators, whether it's yields going higher. Um, There's a lot of concern into what we're seeing out there. And we think that's going to flow through along with the elements of 550 basis points of rate hikes from the Fed. So is the Fed going to pause at their meeting next week? Probably. But we think there's more ahead. To us, that means choppy waters from now till the end of the year. Okay, but why now? Higher rates, not exactly breaking news to anybody in the market, right? We've had higher rates and they continue to go up. The bond market's kind of remained relatively steady for a couple of months. You know, the bond market will always lead the Fed, as you know. Right. So, so what specifically now, Victoria, are you seeing that is giving you that caution? Well, we've been on this train for a little while because of the elements of the the drag that you get from federal um, from the Federal Reserve rate hikes. You typically see tightening conditions hit corporate revenues about 12 months after they start tightening. Then it's another nine to 12 months after that the corporations start doing things like layoffs, tightening their purse strings. We saw Citigroup do some rearranging um, of their corporate structure. Those are the things that we will probably start seeing on the historical timeline of tightening. And we have never had lending standards and tightening conditions at the level we have right now and not gone into a recession. So we're not saying it's a recession, but we definitely think we're going to see a pullback. Victoria Fernandez, your caution is well noted. We appreciate it. Next time I saw your tweet, put something stronger in the water glass. (laughs) (laughs) On the weekend. There's other clear liquids. (laughs) Victoria, thank you very much. All right. In the meantime, let's get back to the markets. Here are your studs and duds of the week, the big or the day, the big winner of the day. Look at that, Norwegian Cruise Line. I mean, think about it. Gasoline bunker, which is the ocean fuel, that's their gas, going up. And Norwegian Cruise Lines, stock up almost 7 or 6% with a big decliner. That is kidney company Dexcom down about 3.5%. All right, still ahead. The hackers, thought to be behind a brazen cyber attack on MGM, are now speaking out. Contessa Brewer, up with that next. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, we got some new developments happening right now about that cyber attack that rocked Las Vegas and really a lot of the gaming industry. The hackers believed to be behind that devastating strike against MGM are now speaking out publicly about it. Contessa Brewer joining us now with more. Contessa. Contessa? There we go. 
they're they're blaming BEM, MGM at this point to um, for the for the hack because or at least for the fallout from this because what they say has happened is that MGM saw them lurking in the computer systems and then protectively tried to shut down some of those internet connected services and that's what led to so much fallout for the customers who were at these MGM properties around the nation. The statement from the MGM hacking group says, or the alleged hacking group says, we continue to have access to some of MGM's infrastructure. If a deal is not reached, we shall carry out additional attacks. We continue to wait for MGM to grow a pair and reach out as they have clearly demonstrated that they know where to contact us. The group that made the statement said that they have sent uh, links to the executive team, Brian, they are trying to ensure that there is a way to make the ransom payment that they clearly have demanded, and so far that has not been forthcoming. They said, in fact, they suspect that MGM won't do it. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the la I'm trying to read into the language, and obviously they're using contests. I don't know if you can hear me. I saw you pull out your IFB. If they're using some color relatively colorful language almost adolescent to grow a pair i think we can all figure out what, what that what that implies do we know anything about these hackers other than than that the the publicly stated um cybersecurity teams have said they think that this is the same group that has been behind some other high profile retail and i'm going to call it an intrusion because in the case of mgm and also we learned this from caesars today and this is a group that has been blamed for the intrusion into caesars as well it wasn't so much a hack to get into their systems brian it was that a human being was fooled into opening the door for them and allowing them in but then once they were inside they knew how to maneuver in these digital networks yeah. so that they could cause damage and and really extract the payments that they what they want uh, we have been told that ransom payments are down to a record low, that roughly only 34% of companies that are hit by ransomware are paying right now. And so getting big companies to pay big ransoms is in their interest. In fact, these alleged hackers said, look, uh, contrary to popular belief, we didn't uh, make the system spit money out of slot machines on the MGM floor because that would not be in our advantage. They clearly want the money. It's almost digital kidnapping in a weird way, right? It's like you, you'll, you'll get your systems back once you pay us the money, but is, it sounds like there's no deal struck because you and I have talked about this. Sometimes there's like that honor among thieves idea where you pay me the ransom, I won't bother you again. Here it doesn't, here it doesn't seem like there's any deal that's been struck either way. And clearly from that statement, these hackers are saying, hey, guess what, guys? We're still here. We're still lurking around your systems. Don't make us do it again. Okay, so the two biggest operators on the Las Vegas Strip, MGM and Caesars, and they have a massive national footprint, right? They have casinos all over the nation. Both of them had intrusions. Both of them had demands for ransom. Caesars filed a, a paperwork today with the SEC that indicates that the $30 million ransom payment had been paid. They said basically that they wanted to take down any threat. I was told, my sources tell me, that they paid half of that $30 million that was demanded and that they got in return for the $15 million the best possible outcome. Look at MGM and look at the difference here. 
that protectively tried to shut down these systems, that they saw the lurkers. This is what the alleged hackers say, that they saw that there were intrusions. They tried to get ahead of it. And the result was very damaging uh, across properties. And for guest experiences that if you've done any searching about it on social media, clearly indicate like you can't use your credit cards, that you have to, if you have a payout on a machine at a, down on the gaming floor, you might have to wait a long time for a human being and come cash you out. Let me just say, is there any reason to believe that this couldn't happen again? This is a modern day casino heist. No, because the vulnerability is human beings. You can put all yeah. these layers of digital protection in place, but if a human being opens the door to the burglar, the burglar still gets inside. Just miss the olden days where people ran out with buckets of silver dollars. Everything's so, hey. di everything's so digital now, you can shut everything down. Whatever happened to Ocean's Eleven? Contessa even, Brewer. Hey, no, no, even the summer they got away with cash from the casino bank, what it's called, back behind the cage because they got uh, an employee to believe a scheme. Well, that was just yeah, getting it. It's always the human. It's like the, the weak link. Contessa, yeah. except for you. Contessa, thank you very thank much. Thank you. All right. Still ahead, the UAW strike just hours away. But one automaker in particular could benefit if a strike happens. Speaking of strikes and breaking news, could be a breakthrough in the Hollywood writer strike. That's next. All right, welcome back. As we mentioned earlier, if the auto workers do go on strike, a large part of American auto production may shut down, which means cars and trucks may not be delivered to dealers' lots or to you which means that companies that continue to make cars, if there's a UAW strike, could grab new and more market share. And that certainly could include one company called Tesla, which some believe could be the big winner. Gene Munster writes, while the big three will be forced to pay more money for labor, they cannot afford it. It will give Tesla more room to keep prices low, which should result in negative EV margins for the big three for the next two plus years. Now, there's a guy named Dan Ives of Wedbush Securities writing, quote, non-union Tesla does not face similar issues, which speaks to the complexity both GM and Ford face going up against the EV leader Tesla while trying to satisfy rising union demands. Joining us now is Mr. Ives himself. You're a tech guy. You're not, arguably, you're not some UAW union specialist, but I think your point is well taken. Tesla's already undercutting these prices. Ford is losing almost 30000 or more. For every electric, every electric Mustang it sells loses more than a Mustang used to cost about a decade ago. And now we're looking at costs going up. This has just got to be falling right into Tesla's lap. Look, this is, it's an epic disaster for Detroit in terms of everything we're seeing. And when you look at for Tesla, this is a game of high stakes poker. And Musk and Tesla are the winners. Because on two ways. One even when they eventually get to a deal and those are passed through, GM Ford, we're talking three, four, five thousand dollars more per vehicle that the consumer is going to have to pay, which is a positive for Tesla from a competitive standpoint. And then when you look here, if this lasts four, five, six, seven weeks, I mean, this could disrupt the EV plans of the 313 area code throughout all 2024. That's a huge win for Tesla. Look, Brian. What about Rivian? I think Rivian, and we've talked about that one, I think they're another winner here because think about what was the biggest competition. It's Ford and Farley. And you look at what's happened with Rivian here. They're not going to be inhibited in terms of from a union perspective. So right now, 
the Detroit Three, they got one hand tied behind their back. And ultimately, it's really Tesla and Rivian, some other automakers Mm -hmm. that are going to win. But I think right now, Musk and Tesla, they're watching this, drinking champagne, because they know that they are going to be the big winner. So there's no part of the supply chain that would impact Tesla. They're, they're, They're completely their own beast when it comes to car making. They're literally, in this situation, unaffected. And I think it just goes back to, despite all the controversies, as they built it out in a non-union situation, this, this is the case study in terms of for Could them. there be a, a, a break line? I, I, I'm not asking you to say yes or no because there's so many parts. There'd be a break line or a, a wheel hub. You know what I mean? Something that could, I don't know. Sure. I don't, you know, I, you know I, what I'm I, getting I, at. I think if you, if you game it out in terms of this game of poker, Maybe down the line, six, nine months from now, could there be a union force that ultimately tries to ultimately push Tesla? But I just believe that's an Everest-like uphill battle. And I think the shame of the situation is Bar GM, they've laid it out. They've done a phenomenal job to get to this point. And now it's really a backbreaker what's happened with the UAW. Midnight's going to strike, but there's no glass slipper. Yeah, well, it's it's. Listen, we root for sort of everybody, and Tesla obviously is its own thing. And <clears throat> yeah, if the strike goes on, if it happens, and if it goes on for a while, my guess is you're going to be seeing a lot more Model Threes and Model Ys and Model Xs and fewer Mach Es than before. Dan Ives, Thanks thank you, me. appreciate it. All right, coming up, breaking news at a possible breakthrough in the Hollywood writer strike. Plus, is Disney about ready to dump off one of its prime time assets? All right, time now for tomorrow's news tonight. And your first story could be a big one for big media because there is potentially, potentially, a breakthrough in the ongoing Hollywood writers' strike. The writers and the alliance of motion picture and TV producers have agreed to meet to try to move negotiations forward. Now, they have not met in person for about a month. They've been on strike for 130 days. According to a press release from the alliance, Both groups are working to schedule that meeting for sometime next week. Of course, nothing may come of it, but at least the two sides are talking. And then there's this. Disney could be on the verge of selling ABC. Disney is reportedly in initial talks to sell ABC and its local TV stations to Nexstar Media Group. Talks are preliminary and evaluation has not been discussed, but the assets should be worth billions Nexstar Media, you may not have heard about them, they're not a household name, but they own about 200 local and TV stations across America. You watch channels, you might be watching a Nexstar-owned channel in your town right now. Shares of Nexstar and Disney rallied on the news. Disney issuing the statement tonight in response, quote, while we are open to considering a variety of strategic options for our linear, that's TV, business, at this time, Walt Disney Company has made no decision with respect to the divestiture of ABC or any other property, and any report to that effect is unfounded. Man, that's a word salad. PR at its best. All right, there's a lot to digest here. Let's bring in CNBC media reporter Alex Sherman. Alex, uh, you you, you sort of got my tongue-in-cheek. I'm sure you understood what I meant by, by the word salad comment because what Disney did not say in that in that release was that they won't do anything i mean they made it pretty clear that a deal could happen yeah you're totally right brian that that was pr at its best 
Disney put out a statement saying uh, any report that suggests we've made a decision on our assets is unfounded. Well, there haven't been any reports that say Disney has made a decision on its assets. So they denied a report that never existed. Uh, what, what we do know is that uh, Disney is at least starting to think about what to do with both ABC and the small handful of ABC affiliates that Disney owns, which tend to be in larger uh, markets around the country. It makes sense that Nexstar would be interested in the local affiliates. As you mentioned, they already own you know, hundreds of these local stations around the country. What's more interesting is that they may also be interested in buying ABC. That would make this a much larger deal. Um, Netflix only has, a, or, or Nexstar only has a, a market cap of about $5.5 billion as is. We don't know the exact value of ABC, but it's certainly in the multi-billions. So, uh, they, there Alex, was this made we're, we're, by Tom getting, Carter. I'm sorry to jump in on you, my man. We got all this UAW news. We're kind of just rolling it like an assembly line, honestly, tonight. If if this ABC deal does happen, it may not. Well, but let's say a transaction occurs and Disney no longer has ABC, which is kind of hard to believe. But hey, they didn't have it until about what 25 years ago. Anyway, could that be the sign of maybe something else? Like, what could that mean for? I'm asking you to wildly speculate here. What could that mean for like a ESPN? Yeah, I mean that's the thing, Brian. Which is that if you think about it, Bob Iger said he wants to stay in the sports business, but a lot of sports is on ABC. So if you're moving off ABC, then are you also moving off ESPN? Or maybe you're thinking about a spinoff of ESPN? That has to at least be under consideration because ABC and ESPN have worked so closely together and continue to work closely together. And they have rights deals that are attached to each other. Like Monday Night Football is you know on ABC and ESPN. Yeah. So there's a lot of confusion if ABC goes in one direction and ESPN goes in another. And that's definitely a... Uh, you know, yeah. a, a, a consideration that Disney would have to think about in any deal that it does. We'll let the lawyers figure that out. I'm sure they can. Alex, quickly, should be optimistic that at least the writers and the producers are talking again or scheduled to potentially maybe talk again. There have been some cracks in the armor very recently on this, so I'm not surprised that talks are starting up again. You're seeing Bill Maher and Drew Barrymore go back on the air with their shows. There was a comment today by the Warner Brothers or Warner Media, Warner Brothers Discovery CFO, who said, look, we got to get back to business here sort of as soon as possible. So both sides now are, are kind of publicly wanting to get back to work. There's definitely some positive yeah. momentum for the first time in more than a month that these two sides you know, want to get a deal done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote, listen, speaking of the writers, I'm going to quote that masterpiece of modern cinema, Dumb and Dumber. So you're saying there's a chance. That's right. Exactly. That's Listen it. to Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. That's it. I, I go to their barber. Alex Sherman, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. Coming up, all you road warriors, listen up. Your beloved elite status, at least on one airline, maybe in for a bit of a rough landing. You're going to want to hear it. It's next. All right, welcome back, and please do not get mad at the messenger. But we have some annoying news for Delta's most frequent flyers. It's soon going to be more difficult to get into airport lounges unless you spend, spend, spend. Starting next year, customers will earn Delta medallion status based solely on their spending, not miles flown. The new model, to be fair, similar to the one that American Airlines recently adopted, United Airlines 
kind of did the same thing last year. To add insult to injury, passengers with basic economy tickets will not even be allowed in Delta's lounges. No lounge for you. Delta's dramatic overhaul does it in there. Many American Express cardholders will no longer get unlimited access to Delta Sky Club beginning in 2025. The horror. So is this officially kind of the end of air travel's era of semi-affordable luxury? Let's talk about it with Clint Henderson, managing editor for The Point Sky. And Clint, I don't know if it's the end of semi-affordable luxury, but I do know this. All the good stuff that people like me and probably like you that enjoyed because we started flying really. I, I never really stopped flying during the pandemic. I was the only one on the plane, by the way. All that stuff that they threw at us, that's gone. Gone. And it's getting harder and harder for us mere mortals to get elite top tier elite status to enjoy all these benefits. I mean, let's face it, upgrades were already a vanishing species, but these are extraordinarily high elite qualification numbers. $35,000 for diamond status on Delta. That is crazy to me. That's insane amount of spend. Yeah. Even some of the biggest spenders are not going to be able to do that because they have to book through their company credit cards. So it, it's just getting really hard. Unless you're buying last minute, first class, business class tickets, you're not going to be a top tier elite anymore. And yeah, the, uh, the point you made, okay, now as a guy that flies United, I've got, you know, I'm closing in on a million miles, I think. I've got decent status, not the best, but I'm getting there, I hope. It, like, I beg my company, CNBC, like, let me buy the ticket. <laughs> on my personal card and you can pay me back with like, no, I got to use the CNBC card, which so I get the miles, but I don't get the credit for the money spent. That money's going somewhere, I'm sure. But for, to your point, like for all those road warriors watching in Atlanta right now, schlepping out the hearts field every week, right? They're going to they're going to kind of hosed. Yeah, totally hosed. And but they don't have an op. Where are they going? What are they going to do? Start flying yeah, that's, that's United it. out that's of it. Atlanta. Good luck. Yeah, there's there's just these corporations are are huge and they have a lock on so many cities that you're you're sort of locked into the to the airline that has your airport. So Delta has Salt Lake City, it has Detroit, American has Miami, it has Dallas. So you're sort of locked in. But here's the thing, this is what some of us at the Point Sky are now doing. We're all going to go free agency. So in other words, we're going to buy the cheapest ticket that gets us there the fastest and then pay for the upgrades when we really want them, pay for the extra legroom because you're spending so much to try to achieve these status levels. The benefit is not there. It's not worth it anymore. So a lot of us wow. are considering it altogether. Yeah. Or what do they got that the, the Frontier has like a $499 all you can fly pass. I saw that, Clint. We're going to leave it there, but I like it. You're going for And if you're doing it, I guarantee you a lot of others out there are thinking the same thing. Why am I fighting for all these Marriott or Delta points when I could just, I'm just going to find the best deal for my family and wing it. You probably save money over time. Clint, thank you very much. Folks, thank that's you. it for us for tonight. Continuing our coverage UAW. Maybe they'll get a deal done. Maybe they won't. We'll find out tomorrow. Either way, have a great night. See you tomorrow night right here on Last Call. 